apologize right now because Alan called me this morning and asked if I would lead. So <laughs> sing loud, all right? So you can be praying for him and his family because they're not feeling the greatest. So happy to be here. Just wanted to mention that, of course, you know, Easter's coming. Next Saturday is April 1st. No fooling, we're going to fill some eggs, okay? And that's at 9 in there. And um, if you haven't contributed to eggs or candy or trinkets, there's still time. Feel free to just give money to me. I'm going to be ordering some things online this week. And also, if you haven't signed up to help for the Easter egg hunt, it'd be really great to have you helping. So join us together in singing. Please stand up. Thank you, praise team, for leading us in, uh, in worship, and thanks, Amy, and filling in for Alan, and we pray that things will improve for him, continue to pray for Alan and his family. He's not, he's not feeling very well, so um, pray that he'd feel better. A couple of things I need to call to your attention. First of all, I would like to uh, remind you that immediately after this service, uh, we're having a get-to-know-us lunch. So if you are new to the Creekside family, uh, you would like to find, a little bit, uh, find out a little more about what we're all about and what we do and what we believe and how the work, things work, the structure of the church and that, just want to invite you to join us. Some of you have already RSVP'd and we're grateful for that, but if you're here this morning and you didn't have time to RSVP but you're curious and you want to come, uh, sure invite you to join us. So we'll start uh, probably about uh, hopefully 12 or 12.15, somewhere in there. So we'll try to get going about that time. So encourage you to join us for that. Uh, the other thing I'd like to call to your attention, in the bulletin, there is a little memo about a uh, Southeast Asia spirit night at uh, one of the local uh, Chick-fil-A's, which is on University Avenue. Our administrative assistant, Alicia, and her husband are uh, preparing to go overseas uh, full-time in ministry, and so if you want to go to Chick-fil-A on Thursday night uh, from 5 to 8 p.m., uh, and just mention that you would like, you know, you're here to support the Southeast Asia uh, Spirit Night, and then whatever you purchase, would uh, some of those funds will go to help uh, support them. Uh, last thing I want to do is, uh, I don't normally do this, but since uh, Jude and Rosie are uh, uh, kind of regular visitors, I just want to thank them for joining us, Jude Augusta and his wife, and uh, Jude has some, some guests with him, so I'm not going to embarrass them, but you can meet them uh, after the service. You can go up and talk to them, but we're just grateful for, uh, for them joining with us. Jude, uh, brother, is there something that we need to be praying specifically about for the ministry down in Haiti? Okay, okay. Safety and stability. So they're, they're working in the Pion area, which is in north northern part of Haiti, uh, but there's turmoil. So there's some still some threats, and are you able to get supplies in, things that you need for the ministry? It's kind of iffy, kind of, okay. So pray for stability, pray for safety, and, and pray that they would be able to get the resources that they need. I know that from some other friends in Haiti, uh, and then if they do get the resources that they need, sometimes that can be a problem because then other people find out that they have the resources 
and then uh, they want to help themselves to those resources. So uh, we'll, I'll just pray as we open our, our time in the Word. Uh, I'll pray for them. Father, I just pray for Jude and his family and the ministry there in Haiti. I thank you for his brother and, and uh, nieces that are able to be here with us this morning. And I pray specifically for safety for our brothers and sisters and those who are serving there in Haiti. I pray for the stability that you would work powerfully to bring stability to the government and to the, 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 the society and the culture there. And I also pray that the resources that are needed uh, for ministry and for the advancement of the cause of Christ would be able to uh, come into uh, Pion and other places in Haiti uh, so that the ministry can go forward. And I ask now, Father, that as we spend time in your word this morning, that your spirit would speak uh, through your word to each of our hearts in a way that you know that each of us needs to hear. And I thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing I forgot to mention, if you are here and this is the very first time you've been to Creekside or maybe you've been here more than once, there is on the bulletin, which hopefully you received when you came in or else on the, on the welcome table, an additional flap there. If you'd fill that out and then there's an offering box on the table out there, if you would drop that in the offering box, we just have a record of your attendance and we can make correspondence with you and at least make touch base with you. If that's what you want, if not, that's fine too. And also there's something, a gift for you at the welcome table, so just want to mention that. Um, some of you have uh, been made aware, some of you have seen it, I haven't seen, but the, there's this mo- new movie out, the Jesus Revolution, and uh, Jesus Revolution movie is all about uh, God's powerful work through some people in Southern California, Chuck Smith uh, and uh, uh, Greg Laurie and a hippie preacher named Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, went around Southern California in the, in the 60s, and God used him in a mighty way, and God unleashed his power. Uh, Thousands of years before, Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie and and Lonnie Frisbee were preaching the gospel in Southern California and God was using them in a mighty way, God was using another servant of His in a mighty way uh, back in the kingdom of Israel. And uh, the prophet priest Samuel, who was also the last judge in Israel, and we see in in chapter 7, verses uh, 2 through 17, how he's mentioned again and again as this judge, God was using him in a powerful way. To draw the people of God back to himself and to deliver them from harm. And so we see that uh, Samuel was last mentioned in chapter 4. And chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 7 are really basically kind of an ark narrative. They're a a study of the ark of Israel and and the use of the ark and God's presence in Israel. And we we haven't seen Samuel mentioned since chapter 4, verse 1. And in the meantime, Eli and his brothers, or sons, uh, the wicked priest, uh, have passed. And so now they're replaced with Samuel. Who in chapter 2 verse 35 when Hannah was praying, he is the, this, this faithful priest. And God raised him up and had matured him in the 20 years that the ark had been absent from Israel. And so Samuel returned with God's strength to lead God's people back to himself and into his blessing. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles or if you have your, on your phone your app or device uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 
And we're going to read down through chapter 7, verses 2 through 17. I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm going to read down through about verse 10 or 11. And if you don't have a Bible or don't have it on your phone, you can reach under the seat in front of you. There should be a Bible there. And go to the front page and find the index, and, and maybe you can find the, the page. That'd be great. Second, First Samuel chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse 2. Now, last week I preached through verse 1, so we're kind of picking up the story. It's a transition there. Verse 2, And it came about from the day that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah. And I will pray to the Lord for you. And they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up to, against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out. Uh, Cry to the Lord for uh, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up burnt offering, and, and, the, and the Philistines drew near to the battle, to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as Beth Car. I'm going to stop right there. And so in this text, it seems to me that that God is, 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 through three activities of of his servant, God is, is showing himself strong and his strength on behalf of his people, and unleashing his good for, their glory, for his glory. And so God is really the key here, but he's using his sa- servant Samuel. And so we see these three activities of God's servant, through whom God uses his strength to serve his people. And the first is that God's servant invites our repentance. We see three phases of turning away from sinful self-reliance. Towards God. Uh, That's repentance, okay? Turning away from sinful self-reliance to fully trust and rely on God, that's repentance. And we see three phases of it here that are present. First of all, there's a a recognition. We we, we recognize our need for repentance. In verse 2, the people's decadence, which was a result of their reliance upon these foreign gods... In the absence of the presence of God in the form of the Ark of the Covenant. Because that's the personification of His presence. So the people's decadence, because of their reliance on these foreign gods in the absence of the true and living God, resulted in their oppression and resulted in God's distance from them. So here's the deal. Uh, we learn from verses 3 and 4, and I'm kind of summarizing a little bit, so you'll have to, to bear with me. But the, the, they had 
been caught up in the worship of these fertility gods, Baal and Ashtaroth. They lived in a culture in which they were dependent upon seasonal rainfall for their well-being. And then they also were involved in ritual worship that supported self-gratification through the worship of these gods and this goddess. So the reality of calling them out of that was pretty difficult because it was like, hey, this was, was uh, beneficial to them or they saw the benefit of it. But here's what God did. God did. Uh, God did. <laughs> did I say that? I did. <laughs> this is what God did. Okay. So anyhow, their idolatry coupled with the Philistine dominance moved Israel to, to realize they were missing God. So it says in verse 2 that they lamented after the Lord. They longed for His presence again. Now remember, it's 20 years that the ark had been absent. The very presence of God was, was vacated from their worship. And, from the, and they were all caught up in this idolatry. And the Philistines were dominating them. And decadence was flowing freely. And they realized in the midst of it all, we need God. They lamented after the Lord. They understood that their sin caused them to be alienated from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. Your sins have caused a separation between you and your God. And it resulted in their oppression. And then they took responsibility for it. And we see even in verse 6, they confessed. They said, we have sinned. We have sinned. I want to pause right here. What is it in our life? What, what would cause, what circumstances uh, does God use to move us? Those who profess to, to know Him, people who are in the church, people who, who say they have some relationship with God, what does God use to move us to realize our need for Him? Sometimes it's a loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's financial difficulty. Sometimes it's conflict in relationships that we can't resolve on our own. Maybe it's an injustice that we've suffered. Maybe you're, we just realize we don't have any purpose in life when God is not in the picture. Physical illness can bring us to the point of saying, whoa, and sometimes it's loneliness. I had a college friend, I remember, him sharing his testimony. And uh, he was sharing about, he had been out on a, a binge drinking uh, one night, and he was huddled over a toilet in, uh, in the bathroom, and uh, he, he came to the realization of, what am I doing? What in the world am I doing? with my life. And God used that in his life to, to, to bring him back to God. It woke him up. So we, we, we must recognize our need for repentance. That's the first thing. And God uses circumstances in our lives sometimes to bring us to that point, whether we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and have just strayed away, or whether we have not yet fully surrendered our life to Christ and trusted his death on the cross and his resurrection as the payment for our sin. Secondly, we see in the text that uh, we, we receive an admonition uh, to repent. This is verse 3. 
And then Samuel lays out for them the invitation to repentance, instructed those who were desirous of God's presence about the demands necessary to bring it about. How is it that I'm far from God? I can now be near to God. What do I need to do? What has to happen? And he lays out for us a few more of the ingredients or the components of repentance. And first of all, we see that repentance involves our recognition of our need to repent. But then secondly, here in verse 3, that we need to return to the Lord with our whole heart. That's chapter 7, verse 3, the first part. Our whole heart. To come to God with total commitment. Not, not, not playing with God, not, not playing at our worship, like, well, I'm kind of here sometimes, not sometimes, but wholehearted in our devotion to the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Totally in. Why? Because God demands it. And because God deserves it. Our undivided allegiance. He's the only true and living God. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah chapter 45 verse 6 and also in verse 8. I am the first and I am the last and there is no other God besides me. Is there any God besides me? I know of none. I know of some. Look at a lot of people, maybe it's not you, but a lot of people now are talking about March Madness, okay? And a lot of people are caught up in March Madness. They filled out their brackets. They've, uh, uh, you know, some of them have even wagered some money on their brackets, and some of them are in pools at work, and they're, uh, you know, figuring out who's going to win and trying to guess who's going to win, who's not going to win. And people are totally in on March Madness. They're totally in on this one activity. A few months ago, it was the Super Bowl. And we get in totally on these things. But then sometimes we struggle with our commitment to, to Christ. Like I'm totally down on March Madness, but I, I don't know, have room or time for God. Secondly, we must remove what rivals God. Not only do we return to God with our whole heart, but we must remove what rivals God in our heart. Removing foreign gods is simply following the first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And you understand how difficult it was for these people to turn away from Baal and Ashtaroth. These were the fertility gods when their very livelihood, their very survival depended upon rain for the crops. Besides, they were enjoying themselves with all of the debauchery and, and, and promiscuity that was associated with the worship of these gods. We must examine our hearts and say, what is it or is there anything in my heart that rivals God? What do we need to do? What, what, what is there that, that would, would rival God in my heart? As, as Anna and I traveled around India, it was very obvious. There were, there were, phys, there were, there were physical reminders. There were physical figures. There were statues. There were Physical idols everywhere. As we drive around the United States, as we live here, it's not so prominent. You know, we don't have these hundred foot high statues of some uh, thing that, you know, is, is a God lit up at night. 
Or way off in the distance, there's these temples that are rising into the sky. And people put these little idols in their cars and in their vehicles, on their dashboards and everywhere. We don't see that so much here. Our, our idols are a little more subtle. Uh, we, we worship our, our comfort. You know, I just like what's comfortable. You know, don't push me out of my comfort zone. You know, don't ask me to do something that's a little, you know, stuffing eggs with candy? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really so excited about that. So maybe I don't really feel like that. Uh, coming and helping out when there's a, 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 you know, 300 kids running around here and we're trying to share the gospel with them. Uh, I think I'll stay home and, you know, sip my coffee. We, we, we worship our comfort. We worship our bank accounts. We worship our convenience. How far is the grocery store? How late is uh, Dillard's open? Can I go and get some Krispy Kreme before church? You know? It's like, yeah, that's, that's what I measure. We, when Marlon and I were first married, the closest Walmart was 40 miles away. You think, you are really in the sticks. Yeah. The next place we moved, it was 25 miles away. You know? We worship our comfort. We worship our convenience. We worship our family. Well, you know, the, you know, dad calls, mom calls, kids want to do this. I'm running from pillar to post to do everything that my kids want to do because I worship my kids. No, I worship my kids. I mean, we were asked uh, to watch our grandkids like uh, for two options this last week. Uh, granted, it came on Tuesday, and they asked if we could watch on, on Thursday or Friday night. We said, sorry, we have ministry obligations. When, I was, when our kids were growing up, I wanted them to know I loved them tremendously, but I also wanted them to know they were not God. And we didn't revolve our lives just around them. And sometimes we worship our family. Sometimes we worship our bank accounts or our pleasure. One of the reasons that I think people should go on mission trips or do things like a mission trip, whether it's here or abroad, is because it takes us out of our comfort zone. I am forced to trust God in ways that I have never had to do before because I've done things that I never would do on my own. We must return to God with our whole heart. We must remove that which stands in the way of God, which rivals God, which we would hold up to be a God for us. We must turn away from those things. And then third, he says, that, that heartfelt devotion, we must direct our heartfelt devotion to God and serve Him. That's the end of verse 3. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4, we read these words. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments and listen to His voice, serve Him, and cling to Him. But in America, we don't really have to cling to Him. Because, you know, there's a, there's a doctor's office down the road, there's a pharmacy over here, there's a, a Aldi's up the street, uh, there is a, there's a gas station down the road, and, 
you know, and the bank account's doing pretty good, uh, even though the stock market's crashing and, and everybody's freaked out about what they're going to do, we still have food on the table. We don't have to worry about our next meal, most of us. We're supposed to cling to him. And see, the problem is, uh, this is common with those who have suffered from addictive, compulsive addictive behaviors. They, they, they may get rid of one compulsive addictive behavior, but then they just transfer it into another compulsive addictive behavior. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. And what God says here, if we're going to return to God with all of our heart, we must remove the idols and replace the idol with something productive, which is reverence for God that's evident in our service for Him and our love for Him. That's what we must do. You see, Moses commanded it of the people of Israel before they went into the promised land in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verses 10, or 13 and chapter 10 verses 12 and 20. Jesus modeled it in the temptation in the wilderness. You know, we read that passage in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 4 about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Oh yeah, Jesus just used Scripture. Yes, He did use Scripture, but what was He using Scripture for? He was using Scripture to communicate His absolute fidelity to the Father. I am absolutely sold out to my Father in His will, in His way. That's what it means to direct our hearts to serve. And so I ask, what tends to move us away? from undistracted devotion to Christ. Oh, we get a little power. Now, I, was, I, I, was, I was uncomfortable in India in this way. They looked to me to be something that I wasn't. I'm just a fallen human being communicating the Scriptures. And I felt like they were you know, elevating me to some place that I, I didn't deserve. We're just people, fallen people, in whom the Spirit of God dwells, seeking to find our way. Popularity can, can turn us away from undistracted devotion. Peer pressure, you young people. It's like, yeah, you want to follow Jesus, but everybody else is telling you to follow the ways of the world. And you're like, well, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be a weirdo. Okay, be a weirdo for Jesus. Home projects can be an undistracted devotion to Jesus, uh, to distract us from undistracted devotion to Jesus. <laughs> I know. Uh, I've been involved in them for too long. Uh, and, and I get my energy and my efforts and my mind and my brain keeps me from sometimes loving God and serving other people. This is what Samuel is calling the people back to. God as our priority. And those with previous knowledge of God are the primary targets here. He says, return to the Lord, right? So they, they had actually had some concept of who God is. They, but they'd gone off the rails in disobedience and, and debauchery. They're primarily addressed. But, but the invitation to repentance is also to those who've never surrendered their life to Christ. To turn to God with your whole heart and turn away from your sin and trust in Christ and His death alone is the payment for your sin. And His resurrection is proof that you have victory over sin. And so both are applicable here, but the main focus is for those who have some relationship to Jesus. A pattern of invitation to repentance coupled with God's promise of deliverance is seen throughout the Scriptures. Repent. And return, and God will take care of you. 
okay, is, is seen in 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, Isaiah 55, other places. And this is a testimony of God's goodness to his people. His, his, he's compassionate and gracious because they were off the rails, folks. I mean, they, 20 years? Like, just shut out God for 20 years and see what happens. It's not good. But God is gracious and patient. He, you know, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not strive with us, nor will he regard our, our, our iniquities. He'll, he'll, he'll turn them away. He'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. This is Psalm 103. He's a gracious God. But here's the deal. I want you to listen to this. Repentance and reliance on God cannot coerce God to act favorably on our behalf. They simply serve as conditions for Him to do so. Okay, They're the conditions, not, not, not coercion. He's just not going to bless that which is unholy. But just because we repent and rely on Him doesn't mean we're always going to get what we want. I think we need to keep that in mind. But we have confidence that God works on behalf. What is 2 Chronicles 69? On behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards Him. He works on behalf of those whose hearts is perfect, are perfect toward Him. So we, we must recognize it, you know, our need for repentance. And then we return to the Lord, we remove what's, God, uh, what's wrong, and we renew our wholehearted devotion and serve Him. And then finally we said, we, we, there's a response, a repentance. We respond. That's verse 4. They responded in repentance. Israel put away their foreign gods, and they pursued the one true God. That's what I'm asking us to do. If it's true, if there are any gods that we're worshiping or pursuing or following, that we would turn away from them and we would follow the Lord with all our heart, as, as, as God called them to do. Knowing that reliance upon the Lord is the key to Him working on our behalf, but not a guarantee that we'll be delivered from our immediate oppression or our immediate difficulties, but that we ultimately will be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the hope. Yeah. Secondly, God's servants intercede for us. Several considerations I want us to focus on. First of all, the offer to intercede. Samuel in verse 5, then Samuel said, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I'll pray for you. Cannot stress enough how much it meant to Anand and I that you and so many people were praying for us. There's nothing more precious for someone to say to another believer than, I'm praying for you. And they really mean it. And this is my proviso. Don't go giving false promises. Don't say, oh, I'll pray for you. No. Because you won't. Some of you will. But say, as the Lord brings you to mind, I'll pray for you. Or if you really mean it, I will pray for you. Okay? Let's just, just don't lie to each other. Don't make it sound more spiritual than it is. I, I just try to tell people, you know, as the Lord brings you to mind, I'll pray for you. And other people, you're on my, you're, you're on my list. Okay? So let's just make straight. So he said he'd pray for them on behalf of the people where he promised to pray for them and, and spiritual leaders. Pray for people 
Because we care for them and we know God does too. I, I had the privilege of praying for so many different people while we were in India. And it's like, why are they asking me to pray? Well, because I care about them and I, and, and I know my God cares about them too. That's why we pray for people. You're a spiritual. You say, well, I'm not a spiritual. Yeah, you are. If you're a parent, a grandparent, you don't have to have some title in the church. You're a spiritual leader. Pray for people because you know God cares about them and, 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 and you do too. Secondly, what was the objective of, their inter- of his intercession? In verse 6, we find out that he was praying for their forgiveness and their repentance. And they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They poured out water before the Lord. This is symbolic of pouring out their souls before God. That's what Hannah did in chapter 1, verse 15. That's why Eli thought she was drunk. Because she was pouring out her soul before the Lord. No words came out of her mouth, but her lips were moving. And he thought, woof, she's, you know, she's a few too many. And then they fasted, which is a means of expressing their humiliation. I was, I was very humbled in India. Because every time we came into the, the church, our brothers and sisters, the first thing they did when they came into the church was they got on their knees. And they brought, now I'm not saying that's, you know, it's not a mandate from God. But they, they, they sought God in prayer. And they worshipped Him. And they got down on their knees before God and they, and they, and they said, we, we need you. I mean, I don't know what they were praying. They didn't, I can't speak Telugu and, uh, and they weren't speaking out loud. So, but I know, I know that they were at least in a posture of prayer. Their humble profession... Uh, here in chapter 6, verse 6, we sinned against the Lord. They acknowledged that they had done wrong and that they longed to be restored with the Lord. And then Samuel served as their spiritual, notice the verse says, verse 6, he served as their judge. He was the last judge in Israel, but as a judge, he was actually their spiritual leader. He was instructing them in the Word of God. He was giving them guidance. He was helping them to understand the ways and the will of God. That's what a judge did, not just served as a bringer of a a verdict. And he served as their judge, turning them away from their idolatry and turning them to the one true and living God. That's what he did. But there was an obstacle to his intercession. If you look at verse 7, it says, now, when the Philistines heard it, oh, they thought it was a a gathering for war. Well, you know, they kind of had in this memory back in chapter 4. Uh, when they brought the ark in, they all shouted and everything. So they're thinking, ooh, they're coming after us again. They, they saw it as a, a threat. And so it says that they, uh, they gathered to Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And, and when the sons of Israel heard it, they, they were afraid. They thought it was an act of war. And so they mounted an offensive. And the Israelites were fearful. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? 20 years of being oppressed by the Philistines. Good reason to be fearful. But then we see that the, the, the outworking of it in, in verses 8 through 10. The imminent battle that, that, that threatened Samuel's intercession. If you look at, verse, look at verse 10. 
Samuel is offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near in battle. So, okay, let's just imagine that we're now we're here preaching, and you can see out there that the army is, is, is mounting, and the army's coming up. They're marching, 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 and we're here preaching and teaching, and you're kind of going, when's he going to stop so we can leave? The battle was imminent, but Samuel's intercession revealed something drastically different than what we saw in chapter 4. In chapter 4, they brought up the ark as some sort of a lucky rabbit's foot, you know, and, and somehow they, they would conjure up God's help. Oh no, not, not now. What do they do? It revealed the people's commendable conviction that only the Lord could help. So they asked Samuel, don't stop praying for us. One of the most touching things for me was that you were praying for us, not just before we left, but before we left, as we left, while we left, and as we came home. Unceasing intercession. Because we need God. In the face of impending doom, Samuel, Samuel courageously pled. Not only for their forgiveness, now that's the idea behind the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. He was pleading and praying for their forgiveness, but also for their deliverance. In Psalm 99, verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among the priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. And they called upon the Lord, and he answered In accordance with Levitical law, verses 9 and 10, Samuel offered up the, the suckling lamb as a burnt offering to atone for their sin. And, uh, and, and I, again, I repeat that their deliverance by the Lord was not caused by, but conditioned upon their forgiveness. God doesn't bless what's unholy. You know, we, we, you know, we, well, we live in sin and then we pray for God to do something. Yeah, he'll do something. He'll zap us, smack us upside the head, get our attention. No, he wants our hearts to him. And God's, Samuel's intercession here in many ways, or at least not many ways, but in one way, it, it reflects or it, it models, it pictures the priestly ministry of Jesus in praying. The high priestly ministry of Jesus. And you, you know the passages in Romans chapter 4. Um, or three, and, 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 uh, and in Hebrews chapter seven, he ever lives, who does? Jesus does. What? To make intercession for us. So as we pray for people, as we pray for ourselves, guess what? The Lord is praying too. He's interceding on our behalf before the Father. What great encouragement for, for us to pray that he's praying. And then finally we see the outcome of the intercession. They they. they the attempted manipulation of God in chapter 4 is replaced by absolute dependence upon God who granted deliverance in chapter 7 and he treated the Philistines in chapter 7 in exactly the same way that he treated the Israelites in chapter 4. So when we don't trust God, guess what? We don't get God's blessing. When we do trust God, guess what? He takes care of us, and He provides for us. 
Their absolute dependence upon God, they were granted forgiveness and deliverance. When Anna and I first heard uh, uh, the news that my visa wasn't going to be accepted, that we weren't going to be able to go to India, guess what? Our minds started immediately working and thinking about how we could solve the problem. Then we realized, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's not going to happen. And so we backed off and we prayed. And other people were praying. I ask you, how many times do the circumstances in this church or in your life, how often do we respond with trying harder? Working smarter? Some humanly devised scheme or plan or organization that's going to work it out for us. Instead of stopping and saying, Lord, would you just work here and let us know what we need and show up? That's what they did. When, God, when, 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 when God's people tried to use him in chapter 4, they experienced calamity. When they sought God, God's help, he brought calamity on his enemies. And then it says in verse 10, but the, but the Lord thundered. <laughs> he thundered. And the Philistines were confused and they were routed and then they were struck down. That's verses 10 and 11. And they scurried off to Bethkar. And that's where they left them. Hannah had prayed, amazingly, in chapter 2. Hannah had prayed that the enemies of the Lord would be broken. Bingo. They were broken in answer to her prayer. This is not a recipe, okay, for rescue, okay, but an encouragement to more consistently realize our need for the Lord and His goodness on our behalf. And finally, we see not, not, not just the servant's invitation to repent, not just His intercession, but His influence. And there are two actions. First, He credits God with the victory, beginning of verse 12. Love this. Uh, then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen. Circle the word Shen. You know, we have this group of people in our church that meet on a regular basis called the Shens. There you go. It's in the Bible. It's a place. The Shens are from Shen, I guess, in some place. Well, anyhow, the Ebenezer stone means the Lord is our help. Who gets the credit? God gets the credit. The Lord is our help. And notice the text says, thus far the Lord has helped us. And I think he, I think, as I was reading, I think it's true. He's not just looking at the immediate deliverance, but also from Abraham to the exodus, to the conquest. Thus far the Lord has been our help. What an encouragement. And then the memorials, what do memorials do? They, they, They... Help keep gratitude for the past foremost in our mind, fueling faithfulness for the future. As I remember what God has done, it encourages me to keep going because I can trust that God's going to do it again. I wear a wedding ring as a reminder of God's goodness and faithfulness. On one day when I looked across the aisle from this beautiful young woman and I committed my life to her and she to me. And now I realize and remember the goodness of God and it gives me courage to be faithful as we continue on. In the same way, this this remembrance. 
What tangible, I ask you, what tangible reminders do you have of God's past faithfulness? What stones of remembrance? What, what Ebenezer's? What, what storm that the Lord is my help? Well, Anna and I had, had great health while we were in, other than jet lag, we had great health while we were in India. All right? A, a reminder. Some of you have a baptism certificate about your, your, your baptism. Some of you had a wedding certificate, a, a marriage license. Some of us, people who know the story of Creekside, this building is an Ebenezer. Okay? Because it was a, totally a provision of God that, that Creekside Church is in this building. And you want to know the story, you can talk to any one of the, the people listed on the list, talk to the Welcome Center, you can talk to me afterwards. It's completely an Ebenezer. The Lord has been our help thus far. Okay? He's helped us. Thus far, it gives the confidence that God's past help will continue into the future. It doesn't mean that he's only done it up to this point, but hey, he's done it up to this point. He's going to continue on into the future. So we remain faithful. Then he says, then he, there, there, it's not just about his stone of remembrance, but we see in verses 13 and 14, there was this sustaining influence of Samuel. I understand these verses to, to give a generalized description of the circumstances of Israel during Samuel's influence. It's not that the Philistines never came into the territory of the Israelites again. It's not that they never suffered any oppression. But what happened was, during Samuel's life, the hand of the Lord was on the Philistines, okay, against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And we find out, we're going to find out at the end of of 1 Samuel that after Samuel died, whoa, Philistines are back on the scene, taking out Saul, taking out his sons, uh, wreaking havoc, because they turned away from God and trusted in himself. And after his, additionally, we see that the cities, in verse 14, the cities were restored so that the, the Philistines had taken territory, it was given back. And there was peace, generally peace, in the days of Samuel. And then we see that in verses 17 through 15 through 17, he cares for the people. Not only does he credit God with the victory, but he cares for the people. As their spiritual leader, Samuel, He wasn't just there during the revival at Mizpah, but during the routine, daily, spiritual input, he gave it. He made a circuit, and then it lists the cities that he gave the circuit to, and he came back to his own place at at Ramah, okay? So it wasn't just, and he, he was providing godly insight, divine guidance, wise counsel, proclaiming the word of the Lord. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do. Wise counsel, godly insight, proclaim the word of the Lord, and he did it all the days of his life. When do you retire from becoming a Christian? People said, oh, I'm retired. Oh, okay. So this is uh, Jesus left, huh? No. Now, your role may change, the ministry may change, but the passion and the mission never changes. And so he was all of his life. God's strengthened, strength is unleashed for good in his glory through servants who serve him faithfully all of their life. And I'm going to say, Lois's dad and mom faithfully served all of their life. I didn't know this until Friday night, but Lois's dad, uh, at one point, the entire state in which they lived, which is like uh, the Midwest, you know, if you take all of the Midwest, 
He, his mission was to have a gospel tract and the gospel presented in every home. Before he died, he bought 800,000 gospel tracts. Not 8,000, not 80,000, 800,000 gospel tracts. All your life. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus as your orphan Savior, you know what? Self-reliance and manipulation of God's, uh, God will lead you to your demise. It will. There's only one sacrifice that will enable you to be right with God. Uh, Samuel offered up a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people temporarily because, you know, we were waiting for Jesus. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only payment for your sin. It's the only means whereby you can be right before God and stand before Him one day if you surrender your life and turn and trust in Him and His death and His resurrection. And that's my invitation to you because apart from it, you will experience calamity. If you know Christ... Maybe we've been far from God. Maybe God has just kind of taken a little second place. Maybe there are idols in my life that I need to get rid of. I need to return to God and worship Him with sincere and wholehearted devotion. Here it is. It's an invitation to come and to experience His blessing and His goodness. Now, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. His blessing may mean difficulty, but the difficulty will lead us ultimately to greater dependence and ultimately to glory where we'll experience finally and fully what it is. As we pause to take the bread and the cup, in Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance, thus far the Lord has helped us. And He will continue to help us. As we look to His body that was broken and His blood shed in, in these, these symbols, the bread and the cup, we're reminded of His past faithfulness to us and encouraged by the promise of His future faithfulness because what He began in us, He will continue until the day of Christ Jesus when we go to be with Him in glory. And so I invite every one of you who knows Jesus as your Lord and Savior to take a few moments and search your heart and say, Lord, do I need to return to you with my whole heart? Do I need to remove any idols in my life? Do I need to redirect my heart, devotion, and service to you? And confess your sin and repent and then come and celebrate and take these elements as a, a joy, joyfully remembering what God has done in Christ for you, that by His grace, you're one of His children, loved, beloved, and full of the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Samuel, but I thank You most of all for You who worked through Samuel to accomplish Your purposes for Your glory. And I thank You for Your love given to us in the person of Jesus, whereby we could be partakers so that we wouldn't have a temporary sacrifice and atonement for our sin but a permanent one that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and obtain grace to help in the time of need and I pray now Father that you would uh, take these truths and wash over our souls for those who don't know Jesus I pray they'd repent and come to know you those of us who know you may we repent and seek to live more sincerely and fully for you we pray it in Jesus name Amen